the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another thrill-packed edition of Unite, i.e. radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the private citizen. My name is Greg Britton with the Redlands Tea Party Patriots, and I'm joined in studio by my co-host, Don Dix. And we have a very special guest we're going to introduce in just a minute, and we'll be talking later in the show about the election results uh, for the, on March 3. And... Our guest here is is from China, has a, has an amazing story, and just by way of maybe of, of background, is for as long as America has been a country, until very recently, China has been weak and poor. But you're looking back over the last five thousand years of human history, that's very atypical. For most of that time, China has been the or one of the leading countries and civilizations in the world. So what we're seeing now in various manifestations that we'll talk about is the reemergence of China to its natural position in the world. And whether that ends up being for good or for ill remains to be seen. I think the answer lies somewhere in China's history since the late 50s, early 60s, uh, when a program that's called, interestingly enough, the Great Leap Forward was instituted by Chairman Mao. China's history takes a right-hand turn at that moment. But there's also another important part of this story, Greg, and it played out in part in the recent in the election cycle that we're having right now, the rise of Bernie Sanders buoyed by uh, students to a large degree who believe that and have been indoctrinated to believe that somehow socialism is the answer for all of America's problems. And they have this twisted version of history that doesn't give them an accurate understanding of what actually has unfolded in countries like China with this great leap forward. The huge toll of human suffering and death, upwards of 30 million people that were killed in order to institute, as you said, uh, this uh, industrial revolution. We don't understand the cost in terms of suffering that totalitarian regimes inflict on their people. The history isn't properly taught in academia. As a result, the students are now backing this, what is now a watered-down version of socialism, but we all know where that road leads. And that's why I'm excited also for this guest, because she has an inside view of what the cost is of a totalitarian communist regime when the state takes over the means of production uh, and institutes these draconian forms of regulation and silences dissent. Yes, our our guest, Jennifer Zung, experienced what you talked about personally and is fortunate to have escaped it and come to America and now... Unfortunately, now she's in the studio with us, but she'll, she'll survive that. If she can survive the Chinese labor camps, she'll survive being on, being on our show today. Uh, she grew up in China, steeped in the, in the indoctrination, believing in the Communist Party until she, you know, she, until she ran afoul of it and experienced what you were talking about. Um, Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Actually, when I heard you talk about China's history and, uh, and the re, uh, rising of China, I'd like very much to stress one point. The China, I think, before the Chinese Communist Party and after is very different. It's different Chinas. So as far as I can see, today's China and Chinese people is some kind of adopted by the Chinese Communist Party that the communist uh, ideology that comes from Germany, it's not part of traditional Chinese culture. And uh, so it's not part of the real China we, we once know in the history, the benign China. So now the whole 
whole nation, the whole people is took, I think, hostage by this evil party coming from Germany. So we should be uh, very, I think, treat these two different versions of communist China and traditional China. And to see the real uh, beautiful uh, Chinese culture that has been inherited for 5,000 years, I think. The Shenyun Performing Arts is giving a very, very good example. It's now, I think, spread throughout uh, America, I think, including California and I think in Phoenix, many different cities. That's portrayed and gave us a, a little bit of glimpse of what the real Chinese culture once was in the history and how the Chinese Communist Party has damaged the China and brought China to this, I think, very critical, dangerous state where it has become a threat, not only to Chinese people itself, but to the entire world. Mm. Why don't you start by telling us your story, and then we'll expand on how that relates to the larger picture of what the Communist Party is doing in and to China. Yes, like you said, I was born in China in 1966. That was the year when the Great Cultural Revolution started. So my family, because my father was an intellectual, so got very bad, badly persecuted in, during Cultural Revolution. So our entire family were relocated in a very small town, which had only 30,000 population. And I had a very lonely and isolated childhood there. And then I grew up. And then, you know, after the Cultural Revolution ended, the party, the, I think the economy of the country was at the very brink of total collapse. So it had to uh, adopt it a so-called openness and reform to the West, so to save their own economy. So after that, I think uh, we see some kind of uh, economic development, and the people were assuming or were expecting that the economic development will bring real freedom and real democracy to China. Many people, I think, elites in West, also policymakers also believe that. And then I was admitted to one of the top universities in China. So I felt I was doing very well. I, I even joined, was admitted into the Communist Party. I became the first Communist Party members in my class when I was in my university. Wow. So I... So up to up till then, I think like many young uh, young Chinese students or young Chinese people, we we I believe that the party somehow was the saver of China. Although our family suffered, but my father, my parents never told me anything about about their political. Uh, opinions. It's. I think it's not safe to talk about your public opinion or political even, opinion. Even between parents and their no. children. No, that's amazing. Because during Cultural Revolution, you know, young children, students were encouraged to report their parents, their teachers, to the government. So if you you report, oh, your 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 parents, your teachers are discussing the political matter, are so saying something bad about Mao Zedong. You know, your parents got round up, got persecuted by by the party and the young students believed they were doing a good thing. So in my family also, I learned all this after I think I was already more than 30 years old. My mom, on, I, I, I started reading history and then I didn't know what really happened during Cultural Revolution. So when I was in university, I really had no idea at all of what this party had done to, the, to China. I still, because I grew up uh, in in this communist China, mm -hmm. all our textbooks and all everything we saw, we we heard told us how marvelous this party was. If there was, it's if it's not for great leader Chairman Mao, we would be suffering an old old evil society till today. We would be uh, suffering this and suffering that. So we're terrified. Without the party, uh, our, our our China wouldn't would be you know uh, go to hell. So that's what we believe. What strikes me about what you're describing is, uh, uh, to a degree, what's hap what we begin to see happening in academia, where there's this perverted history that's being taught right now, both about America's founding as well as, uh, you know, regimes like this. But your 
dis- what you're describing is the uh, indoctrination that the government is your salvation without a government without chairman Mao, without the things that were done during what's called the great leap forward you're calling it the cultural revolution there the people are left to think that they will be somehow um lost damaged um have no way forward it's exactly the opposite here we're taught to be strong individually Strong and rugged individualism is what we takes taught. care of. We were, were taught. And that's the strength of America. It just, as you were describing it, that stark contrast just emerged to me about the way that the government makes you feel dependent on them in China versus the way that America was built. Rugged individualism. We're responsible for ourselves and our own uh, and, and caring for ourselves. Right. And we, we have the freedom to to pursue happiness as we each define it. Let's take a break here, and we're going to continue with Jennifer's story. It's an amazing story as she all of a sudden is now on the opposite side of the Chinese Communist Party. And we'll hear more about that after this word from Ed Hoffman of Summit Funding, the place to go for your real estate lending needs, both residential and commercial. Back after this. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman with Summit Funding and host of the main event, Heard Weekends, right here on AM590, The Answer. By now, I'm sure you've all been hearing about the fact that mortgage rates have dropped a whole percentage point in the last 12 months. So what does that mean to you? Well, if you own a home, it means we can possibly, one, reduce your payment, two, pull out cash and pay off other bills, and then further reduce your payment, or three, we can possibly reduce the term of your loan and get your home paid off years earlier than you planned. If you're over 62 considering a reverse mortgage, the lower the interest rates are, the more money you get on a reverse mortgage. And if you haven't even inquired about a reverse, you owe it to yourself to investigate this tremendous financing option. So if you're thinking about any of these, the time to act is now. For more information, call me at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, 855-640-2020. Or go to edhoffman.net and click on the Summit Funding logo. Ed Hoffman, NMLS ID number 590, the answer. This is Assemblywoman Melissa Melendez urging you to tune in to Unite IE Radio every Saturday afternoon at 4 p.m. on AM 590, The Answer. Welcome back to the Unite Inland Empire Radio Show, the show for the most important political office, that of private citizen. We're having a very important conversation today with someone who has who grew up, uh, Jennifer Zhang, am I pronouncing that right? Yes. Uh, who is a uh, here in America now and sharing her very relevant and important story about growing up in China, uh, the relationship between the government and Chinese citizens. And we're going to advance the story. And unfortunately, there's so much to your story. We're going to have to divide this into two parts. So folks who don't uh, will want to tune in next week for the second part of your story as we talk about things like the coronavirus, the protests in Hong Kong. But we want to pick this uh, pick up your your story with uh, your uh, imprisonment in four different times in Chinese labor camps because you adopted a belief system, a spiritual belief system that was not on the approved list of the Chinese government. Tell us a little bit about how that happened. What was it like? Share with our listeners, what is it actually like to be in one of these labor camps? What happens? And in fact, you were tortured. And if you're comfortable sharing with us a little bit about that. Yes, I think to sum it up, it's a hell, a living hell on earth. You know, on the first day when I was sent to the camp, the first sound I heard is the cracks of the electric bantoons and then the order to squat down. So from that moment on, for more than a month, at any minute when we were awake, we were to uh, squat down and uh, our eyes were lowered to uh, look at our feet. We were never, ever allowed to raise our head. When we were, when we were talked to the police, we need still to looking at our feet any time, any minute in the day. So for the first day in the camp, we were forced to squat uh, with our two hands, you know, uh, holding our heads mm-hmm. and our lo- heads lowered, our eyes looking at our, our, at our feet and the squat like that motionlessly 
under the shy, the baking sunshine for fifteen, sixteen hours. In that and, same position for yes, fifteen hours motion, straight, motionlessly. So、hmm. many elderly ladies couldn't hold up, so they fainted away. As as soon as somebody passed out, they applied. Electric bandons on that person to wake her up, so that she could continue to to、uh, be held in that position. And、uh, from the second on, every day for sixteen hours, we were forced to stand motionlessly inside the cell with our two hands, you know, in front of our body, and also our heads lowered down, looking at our feet. And、uh, for sixteen hours, we were required. To recite out very loudly and very insulting regulations of the camp, like you promise you won't do nasty things, you won't steal people's money, you know all these are very insulting regulations they made for the real criminals, not for people like us. We were there for our spiritual belief in truth, compassion, and forbearance. We didn't commit any crime. So, sixteen hours recite out loud the very, very insulting. Things so I felt my mind was constantly, constantly being raped、mm. by those insulting regulations, and at one point, I felt I could I could not go on at all. I would go crazy and on any moment. So I asked the police for a piece of paper and a pen to write an appeal. Uh, against my labor camp decision, because you know, for ordinary person, if you are given a sentence or a, a labor camp decision, you are allowed to appeal against that to the to、uh, to some kind of higher、mm-hmm. administrative bodies. But for Falun Gong practitioners, we were denied this opportunity because my father was a top ten lawyer in Sichuan province, so I knew my legal rights.、Mm-hmm. I asked for、mm-hmm. a piece of pen and uh, and uh, uh, a piece of paper and pen. And as soon as the police officers heard this, they dragged me from the cell into the courtyard. They dragged me all along and then threw me on the ground and applied electric electric bandons to all over the, my body and、uh, until I lost my consciousness. Well, this was, wow! Was there was there something that they wanted from you? Is you have is when you, if you do X, repent. Uh, given information, whatever it is, then the torture stops. Or was this really? There was no out. It was there. The, it was there. The physical and psychological torture was there to break you. Yes. The, at first, the, the, on the first day, I think the police told us the purpose for us being brought there is very clear: is to have us reformed. Which means to have us give up our beliefs in truth, compassion, and forbearance. So the promise, if you write up a guaranteeing statement to say we will not,、uh, you know, practice Falun Gong any anymore, we will we will listen to the party. The promise that will release you right away. So if you sign a paper,、uh, they will treat you well. So that's what they promise. So, but because for me, truth, compassion, and forbearance is part of my life, I don't think I wanted、uh, to go against that. So I didn't promise anything. So I tried to withdraw all the torture for six months. So this first imprisonment was six months long. No, not six months. Now it's one year. My 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 labor camp sentence. Was one year? I said I tried to withdraw this for six months. I see. And, in, and then in October two thousand, I suddenly because after I witnessed so much, you know, unimaginably inhuman crime against humanity, I felt that was worse than the Nazi concentration camp. I read in the history book. I suddenly developed a very strong impulse to write a book. About what I experienced, what I saw as a record. Somehow, I feel it's my historic responsibility to write a first-hand account, to re- to to really document what's really happened uh, 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 behind the walls of the labor camp. And then I was suddenly faced with a dilemma: if I did not do what the police want me to do, I will never ever be released. Even if I served my one-year sentence, they will just slap me another one, three-year, five-year, very easy. Because labor camp is supposed 
to be an administrative system, punishment system, so you don't have to go to the legal system. You, you are denied a, a lawyer. There is no trial. And also it's an administrative system. A party member can just write up a sentence to you. So if I don't reform, I would never be released. But if I reform, I have to do what the party, what the labor camp police required me to do. So it's not as simple as you write up a statement to say you were gave up. You are also expected to write long, long articles to criticize your own belief system. And then you need to read out this long, long article in front of all the uh, prisoners in the camp and have that read, uh, video recorded as evidence of your reform. And then you have to help the police to torture your fellow Falun Gong practitioners to prove you have been reformed well enough. Otherwise, they still don't feel confident uh, with releasing you. When you say he had to help, what would you? What would you? What did, what did you have to do in terms of torturing your fellow prison, fellow practitioners to get out? For example, they. I think from October two thousand, they placed uh, found out a very effective way to torture or to force Falun Gong practitioners to so-called reform, that is sleep deprivation. So any newcomers to the camp were allowed were not allowed any sleep at all unless until you collapsed, unless you signed a document. So when I was in the camp, I knew the longest period some uh, a woman held up was for 15 days, 15 nights, no sleep at all. And after I released, there was a longer period, a longer record created by someone. She's in New York now, called Zhang Yijie. She was not given any sleep 42 days and 42 nights. So if because to keep somebody awake, they have to have uh, some people like in routine the rooster, like they, they, they have three shifts to, to make sure you, man, you, you keep that person awake. If she fell, uh, one fell asleep, just beat her up or just keep her awake. So they ask you to, to, to do that part of job to keep those unreformed Falun Gong practitioners awake so that they don't sleep and until they collapse. We'll tell, we'll, we'll, in our second segment, which will be, second part, which will be broadcast next week, we'll go more into your story. We only have about two minutes left before the hard break here. Another part, and you, you were fortunately able to escape it, is the Chinese organ harvesting program where, where people who are prisoners, such as yourself, their organs are, in, are involuntarily taken, and that may even kill them. Yes. To, to sell to people who other Chinese or other maybe non-Chinese that are willing to pay for them. Yes. Tell us about that. We've got about a minute and a half left in this segment and how you escaped that fate. I was given blood test in the camp and two very rough uh, uh, physical examinations. I told the doctor, which which is true, which was the case. I had hepatitis C before I practiced Falun Gong. That was part of the reason why I started practicing Falun Gong. And I saw the doctor recorded very carefully about everything I told him. I didn't know what the purpose of the physical examination. Then I thought it was just an ordinary a physical exam, but later on, after I learned that so many people were killed for their organs, mm. I, I, I realized that that could be the reason why I escaped the, fi- the fate of becoming a victim of organ, forced organ harvesting. We've been visiting with Jennifer Zhang, who, is a, who escaped the communist China and is in America now to uh, really alert America to the threat and the danger of China. We're going to continue with Jennifer next week. So tune in to uh, our program next week. We'll talk about the coronavirus, the protests in Hong Kong, and really what the clear and present danger of China is to America and, in fact, the rest of uh, Western civilization. Up ahead, we're going to talk about the big Super Tuesday election and other things that have unfolded this past week as we continue on the Unite I radio show. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Hoffman with Summit Funding and host of the main event, Heard Weekends, right here on AM 590, The Answer. For those of you that are 62 or older and haven't taken the time to inquire into a reverse mortgage, here are some great reasons to consider one. One, you don't have to make monthly mortgage payments unless you want to. 
two, a reverse mortgage can supplement your retirement income and allow your retirement savings to last longer, which will save you money on taxes or possibly allow you to delay taking Social Security benefits, which will increase your benefit when you do. Three, when you finally pass on, your kids inherit the home and the equity in it, along with the money that has accumulated in your bank account from not having to make monthly mortgage payments. Four, no prepayment penalty if you decide to sell the home or refinance out of it. And the biggest reason, it's your equity. Use it when you want it. Interest rates are low, which means more money available. So if you've inquired before and it didn't work, it may work today. Calling to find out more details is free. So call me at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. Or go to edhoffman.net and click on the Summit Funding logo. When you're in an auto accident, you want quality repairs done as fast as possible. All you need is All-Star. For 20 years, CarStar, All-Star Collision, and Corona has delivered quality work and customer service with honesty and integrity. So when the inevitable happens to you, all you need is CarStar, All-Star Collision. 951-279-9161. Mention AM590 and get a free rental car for up to five days or $100 off your repairs. CarStar, All-Star Collision, the kings of wreck and roll. 951-279-9161. AM590, the answer. Welcome back to the United Inland Empire Radio Show, the show for the most important political office in the entire country, that of the private citizen. And private citizens in 14 states and two U.S. territories showed up on Super Tuesday. Uh, Many did, not all, which is a shame, but many people did in order to vote for president and all the way up and down the ticket into, uh, you know, city council races, Congress. Here in California, Greg, I'm extremely proud of Californians who turned out and voted down Proposition 13. That was that was great. Um, but also the results on Super Tuesday led to the new political phrase used to be as as uh, New Hampshire goes, so goes Vermont. Now it's uh, as American Samoa goes, so goes the Northern Mariana Islands. <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous when you have to spend six hundred million dollars in order to dominate an American territory with only thousands of people. And I forget how many actually voted. He spent, but he spent six hundred million dollars, as Mark Stein quipped uh, on, on on Tucker. Is, is it, yeah, for $600 million, you probably could have bought the entire island of American Samoa. <laughs> you probably could own the island and have a great time. This is this Super Tuesday. The big story, of course, to come out of Super Tuesday was that the Democrat Party forced Pete and uh, Amy Klobuchar out of the race and Tom Steyer eventually as well in order to direct attention to Joe Biden because Bernie Sanders, the socialist, was getting too much power. Oh, they, they were they were they were terrified of him, not because they necessarily disagree with him. And well, well, he he may Bernie may publicly praise Fidel Castro. The rest of them, the rest of them are probably wearing Che Guevara T-shirts under their clothes. They probably they, they so, are. So there's not that much of a difference between Bernie Sanders and the rest of them. It's just that Bernie is more open and honest about as are his, his agenda. As are the people that work his campaign, as we now know from the Project Veritas thing, where two salaried campaign workers said if Bernie's denied the uh, the vote at the convention we're going to burn america down i'm paraphrasing but right. i think i think the important story for us here in california is that um the the numbers are still being tabulated as many as several million ballots may still need to be counted but the number of people that showed up to vote for Donald Trump versus the number of people that showed up to vote for the democrat of their choice more people showed up on the democrat side than on the Donald on, on Donald Trump's side but proposition 13 a uh, bond measure that was going to put uh, our taxpayers in debt for $15 billion plus $12 billion in interest plus the matching funds that were required by school districts around the state literally went down in flames. The initial vote was 61%. The first reporting statewide, 61% no vote. That's now settled into 55%. That's a huge shift in the way that Californians are looking at it. And Democrats had to cross over in order to get that result. It was. And what's really one of the things really amazing about it is this, is all of the money all of the campaign was on the yes on G side. And yes, not the yes on G, yes on Proposition 13 side. Yep. It was for the children. We need to fix the schools. We need to get, you know, you don't want your child from suffering from getting asbestos in your schools. You better vote yes on, on Proposition 13. 
no organized campaign against Proposition 13. And we've seen with these measures that they promise one thing, they don't deliver it. And I had written a number of times before the election is you know, the, the saying that uh, fool me once, shame on you. Mm-hmm. Fool me twice, shame on me. Or as, and, I like, as I like to put it, Lucy pulling the football. Right. So how many more times were California voters going to be fooled? And maybe they, maybe California voters have reached their limit on this because in the absence of any campaign against it, they, by a wide margin thus far, we'll see what happens when all the vote come, the rest of the votes get counted. Because we actually have month, we actually have two month long elections. You, right. A month before the election day in which yep. you get to vote, and then a month after in which they get to stuff the ballot box. No. Exactly right. That's... No, you know, that, where they get to uh, and actually count the votes and the, uh, their ballot harvesting or what, ha- or what serve, have you. They give a month to certify the votes. Right, right. So, as of now, it looks like this is going down to defeat. And it matches, interestingly, what happened locally in the Inland Empire. In Riverside County, your, we talked about Major A. In our show uh, uh, last week. Yep. That, again, no organized campaign against it. And the voters said, by overwhelming margin, no to giving the government more money. And across San Bernardino County, a whole variety of local bonds, school bonds, every one of them went down. And some, and many of them by a wide margin, 60% plus. The voters are, again, no, no organized campaign against it. And in Ukaipa, they had a sales tax, they had a tax increase on the ballot. No Overwhelmingly. And Measure A that you were talking about, there were yes on Measure A signs everywhere, not a single no on A. So people are beginning to figure it out. And you said no organized campaign. Now, that's very different than what happened in Redlands. There was a measure there. Didn't have anything to do with bonds or taxes, but it had something to do with transforming Redlands in a way that the citizens probably didn't understand. You and a number of other people organized that. And we have on the phone right now one of your uh, co-organizers, Lane Schneider, who assisted and helped and helped organize this. And you guys in the Redlands City, organized a response to Measure G. Welcome to the Unite I Radio Show, Lane. Thank you very much, Don. I'm glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about what Measure G was. For those people that aren't familiar, Lane, tell us what Measure G was, and then I want to hear from both of you what you did to organize the citizens of Redlands to oppose this. Okay. Uh, What Measure G was was... Uh, a measure that was put on the ballot by our city council, all five of them, you know, signed off on it and said, yes, we want to put this on the ballot. And it was a measure basically to uh, make an amendment to the city's general plan. So it was basically a measure about land use. And um, so... Mm-hmm. In that sense, it's a kind of, in some ways, to read that measure, you had to do a little bit of work because there was all the time in the measure quotes from the general plan saying, you know, and you'd have to read through that and then figure out what are they saying? They're going to change this uh, to something else. So that's kind of the, what the measure was. It wasn't real long, seven pages approximately, but it was completely about a 782-acre area. Uh, in the city. That's where they wanted, they called that the Transit Village Planning Area, and that's the area that would have been changed uh, according to, you know, the me- the amendment they wanted to put in, they wanted to put in, which was called the measure. And what would the, um, what would the impact of that have been on your city, Greg? Well, we see all across California, Southern California, these uh, box-like high-rise apartments popping up three, four, five stories or more, depending on where you are. And that's kind of the new agenda to get people to live there instead of in single-family homes. And then that's a larger discussion, the war on single-family homes that's being waged. But in Redlands, the voters have previously adopted some local initiatives that were restricted that. So what they, what they were trying to do here was, was to, in this area that Lane mentioned, if you're familiar with Redlands, all the way from Alabama Street, all the way over to Judson Street, well east of the University of Redlands, it would have repealed those growth regulation and limitation measures and would have let the city council approve unlimited height, unlimited density, what we call stack and pack apartments, 
in that entire area. And it's interesting is in all and the developers funded this and they kept putting in more money as we organized and we talk about how we organized and they realized they had a problem on their hands. They kept putting in more and more and more money. And the total last figure I heard was one hundred and thirty four thousand dollars, all from out of town developers that wanted to build these apartments. So some of the citizens here organized we didn't want that and it was it was, it, it was an issue that crossed a rare issue that crossed party and ideological lines and our on our team we had some self like myself part of the redland sea party patriots but we also had democrats we had independents they were all, all were unified unified in we don't want redlands to start looking like anaheim where, right. where you see block after block after block of these high-rise, just bo- they're just boxes. They're, they're not even really like, attractive. They're just boxes, block after block after block. And we raise a little bit of money, start putting the signs out, getting on social media every every free way. It, you know, that it doesn't cost any money. That we could get that message out. We went to the city council meetings, which are televised. So we spoke in public comment, knowing that we're not going to convince the city council of anything, but hopefully we might convince people listening out on t- watching on television. Of, of what was going on. We need to take a break right now, but this is such an important story. Lane, thank you for joining us because you guys did what we constantly ask people to do. And I really want you to get you got both to get into the nitty gritty of how the organization came together, because there's a lesson here for other uh, communities throughout the Inland Empire of literally how to do this. Um, it's an important story. You guys defeated Measure G, but what we want to know now is how did you go about doing it? What's the template for doing this? We'll continue after the break so that you can hear from a sponsor of the Unite IE Radio Show right now. All-Star Collision, the place to take your car when you have an accident because they are truly the kings of wreck and roll. Back after this. When you're in an auto accident, you want quality repairs done as fast as possible. All you need is All-Star. For 20 years, CarStar, All-Star Collision, and Corona has delivered quality work and customer service with honesty and integrity. So when the inevitable happens to you, all you need is CarStar, All-Star Collision. 951-279-9161. Mention AM590 and get a free rental car for up to five days or $100 off your repairs. CarStar, All-Star Collision, the kings of wreck and roll. 951-279-9161. AM590, the answer. This is Senator Mike Morrell asking you to tune in to Unite IE Radio every Saturday at 4 o'clock on AM 590, The Answer. Welcome back to the United Inland Empire Radio Show, the show for the most important political office. A lot of stories came out of Super Tuesday, but one very important story about how a community organized in order to defeat a measure that would have transformed it uh, is the story we're talking about. It was in Redlands. It was Measure G that would have transformed this, given developers permission to literally change the landscape. Lane Schneider, you were part of the organizing of this. Tell us a little bit about the mechanics of getting citizens on board with this, um, how did how did it all come together? Well, you know, it's funny you say that. In some ways, I'm a little fuzzy on the very first uh, step that happened, but I think what happened for me was someone gave me a phone call and said, hey, there's several of us getting together. We're concerned about this measure. Let's just have a meeting and talk about it. So I went to that, and and. You know, it was a number of people from the community, uh, differing backgrounds. And uh, out of the conversations, we probably had maybe a couple of meetings, what arose was we need to form a pack. We need to do something to uh, raise money so we can get our message out. So um, I said, okay, I'll do that. Uh, there's no sense in paying someone. It's not that hard. And uh, so then you, you basically you file with the uh, – FPPC, that's Fair Political Practices Commission, and um, you, you, you know, form a, a PAC, in this case, the Political Action Committee. In this case, it was one that's called a Ballot Measure Committee, because that's what we were dealing with here, a measure that was on our ballot. And that's a very specific kind that's, for one thing, you either oppose it or you, you know, are for it. So that is what we did. We I filed for the opposing view, then you get your paperwork, and then you 
you know, get a bank account. You have to do that. And that was the, probably the most complicated part. Because <laughs> right. it's, it's a kind of like, uh, I don't know, you go around in a circle because you can't get the bank account unless you have the documents. And you can't get the documents completed until you get the bank account. You know what I mean? It just went around and around. Gotcha. But it all, you know, we got it. And uh, once you have a bank account, then you can begin to gather contributions. And so, you know, that's really what we did. Uh, even before we had that bank account, though, uh, we already started just uh, some of the members of our committee uh, creating flyers, beginning to pass those out, doing doing that kind of just neighborhood work. Um, and then once we got the money, we began to spread it further by building our website, uh, doing other things to reach out to the community further. And a lot of people got on social media, uh, different things like um, Next Door Neighbor, uh, that kind of a thing, and also Facebook. or uh, I don't think anybody was doing Twitter, but Instagram. And, and you know, began to talk it up and, and, and really tell their neighbors. And for me, uh, really the biggest thing, uh, I, I like to read books. And one of the books I read a couple of years ago was one by Tip O'Neill. He's uh, deceased, a former Speaker of the House, he wrote a book called All Politics Was Local. And, you know, he, when he was running for office the first time as a college student for city council, he lost by, you know, 160 votes. And his father came to him afterwards and said, uh, you know, took him aside and said, listen, son, all politics is local. Don't forget it. And I think about that to, because that's what this was. The people just ran with it. Mm. I mean, literally, people just came up with things they would do. You know, once they knew that we had some flyers available uh -huh. uh, that they could just request and we'd print them up and give them to them, then uh, they would just go do stuff with them. People went to stores and talked to business owners. They covered their neighborhoods. They did a lot of things on their own. That's, to me, one of the most impressive things about this particular uh, campaign was people took the you know they just took the, the initiative. I call it I call, I call yeah. it political entrepreneurism. They, yep. That's exactly what happened. It was amazing to me. Some of the things I heard people did. I mean, just even yesterday, somebody was telling me, okay, there was a guy in my neighborhood who had a car and he just rode on it on the back window, no on G, and just parked it you know, outside his house every day or, or out on a street somewhere. Just, you know, it's all kinds of things. People just thought of, well, what can I do? And, of course, I was always encouraging everybody, yeah, you want to go for something, go for it. Do it. You're and, great. And it, it's very creative, really a lot of fun. Yeah, every, everybody jumped in. People were doing different things. <clears throat> Wayne's role was really essential because she was the treasurer of the political action committee and that had to be done had to be done you, you, you gotta cross the t's dot the i's do all those right right or you can face some very very, very stiff fines so that was absolutely essential other people focused on getting the signs out as this got rolling our orders for signs we we we're having trouble meeting the demand for people that wanted to put a yard sign up on their on their property. We also put our own signs up, many of which were stolen. I had twelve signs really? I, I, that I placed on private property with owner permission were stolen. Wow! So that that was that was that was widespread. Social media, as she mentioned. Um, what, that's, that's, what, a what, that's a is that, that's a felony. It's a crime. It? I'm sure it's a misdemeanor or, or, okay. or a felony, but it, but it, but it is a crime. Um, I'm sure, totally coincidentally, the Yes on G campaign was being run by a staffer of con Democrat Congressman Pete Aguilar. No. So, no, no. I'm sure that has absolutely nothing to do with that. But what was, what was gratifying to me is they had all this money, and we got slick mailer after slick mailer that never talked about apartments. It was You were going to fix the now-closed Redlands Mall. It was going to reduce homelessness. It was going to reduce crime. It was going to improve business. You know, all of these wonderful, wonderful things that this was supposedly going to do, never mentioning the real purpose was to allow these high-rise right. apart uh, apartments in it. But, and we had a much smaller. I think we a total was about ten, twelve thousand dollars, all from okay, people that lived yeah. in. All that lived in. You know, they would give their fifty dollars, a hundred dollars, maybe a little bit more, and 
to contribute because they wanted to preserve their city. But the, notwithstanding, whether it's in Proposition 13 on the statewide or a Major G in Redlands, the voters were able to sift through the political BS the big money was paying for and make a decision on that what they th- of what they thought was right. P- the, the, the people in Redlands, there's about 65% right now in the vote total, said no. They did not want these high-rise apartments spread through. The- and there's plenty of apartments in Redlands, and we're not, we're not opposed to apartments. But there are one and two stories. They fit into a residential neighborhood, mm-hmm. not three, four, five, six or more stories that measure G would have allowed. So I'm, I'm, I am very gratified to see that how the voters in Redlands and even statewide, and we mentioned some of the other jurisdictions in Rolla Riverside, they saw through it and were able to make an informed decision about their government That's and right. what they wanted, notwithstanding what the big money was paying for. And we saw this in some of the races as well in, our, in San Marino County in the 23rd Senatorial District. The state party and its aligned PACs spent $1.25 million attacking a conservative Republican, Lloyd White, that we backed. And as of right now, he's in third position, but only by about two points behind the Republican that the party wanted to win. So it wasn't total, but in large measure, again, the voters sifted through the deceptive, right. deceitful attack ads to make it, to make their own judgment. And I find this, I find it, this, these results very gratifying. Lane, any other thoughts you have about this effort that was organic in your community in order to oppose the outside interests, the developers and the money that came in to transform your city? Well, I guess for me, I I would agree with Greg. It's been a very satisfying thing. It's been really exciting. I would say if someone lives in a town that there's something that seems wrong they don't like, uh, get together with some other people and see where you can go with it. Uh, It's not that hard, um, and and it is exciting because people, you know, want to see their city be what they like and what they're what they're proud of. And uh, so they can do something. I mean, I I honestly, I've never been involved in anything like this to this degree of of intensity. Uh, And just to see the swell of people that came up and, you know, did the things they did. They took the initiative and, you know, talked with their neighbors. They donated money. They put signs out. They passed out flyers. They called people. They texted. We've got about... we got crazy. We got about two and a half minutes left in this divided era where you've got people who are polarized with politics. Both of you have talked about how people with different political worldviews came together. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about was this an opportunity for people from with different political perspectives to come together and realize, hey, we're not so different after all. Yes. I would definitely say that. I know that there are many examples of people getting together and talking. You know, even just standing on the street with signs, you get to talking to the person and you realize you have opposite views, but you're so united on what you want for this particular issue. And I saw that over and over again. Many people were kind of marveling, but, you know, we worked hard at doing that. It's important to remember you take Mm -hmm. your own responsibility to not push buttons in the other person. If there's something that you know that they would go not be happy about, you just don't even bother with that. Mm -hmm. We, uh, and and it worked, you know. I think I think people began to see, hey, these people are just like us, and they have uh, they have the same desires for our city that we have. We'll see. So, we, we we aim to make this uh, the, the, this this little group here and the connections that we've established. Whether this can have some ongoing that'd be great. Benefit. The, the, the uh, we'll see whether they still do it. But the the city council had planned to put a local sales tax increase on the November ballot. After this defeat, they may. Ooh, I smell they, another pack and well, another well, effort. Well, <laughs> well hopefully, we, hopefully, there, we don't even have to have that. Is that seeing the results and seeing the other results on tax and bonds in this last election? Is they may the, the, the council may just back off and not do it at all. But we're going to see whether whether this. Yeah, you know, yeah, we disagree. We include people that support Donald Trump and people that support Obama. Uh, that can we can we find other local issues? That we can agree on can and, and exert yep. the control of the citizens 
over their government. What a great story. Lane Schneider, thank you for spending a little time with us here to tell the story of how citizens defeated the big city hall. You can fight city hall. And out-of-town developers. And you guys proved it. Congratulations on Measure Z. uh, Congratulations to California on turning down Proposition 13 and sending a loud message to Sacramento. You can't have any more of our money. Your final thought, Greg. And then hopefully that carries forward to November in which there's going to be another huge tax increase on the ballot in the form of the so-called split roll. And while it's nominally against business, if they raise the property taxes on the supermarket, guess what's going to happen to the price of food? That's going to do it for us on the Unite IE Radio Show. Tune in every Saturday at 4 p.m. for the Unite IE Radio Show. When you're in an auto accident, you want quality repairs done as fast as possible. All you need is All-Star. For 20 years, CarStar, All-Star Collision, and Corona has delivered quality work and customer service with honesty and integrity. So when the inevitable happens to you, all you need is CarStar, All-Star Collision. 951-279-9161. Mention AM590 and get a free rental car for up to five days or $100 off your repairs. CarStar, All-Star Collision, the kings of wreck and roll. 951-279-9161. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Hoffman with Summit Funding and host of the main event, Heard Weekends, right here on AM590, The Answer. For those of you that are 62 or older and haven't taken the time to inquire into a reverse mortgage, here are some great reasons to consider one. One, you don't have to make monthly mortgage payments unless you want to. Two, a reverse mortgage can supplement your retirement income and allow your retirement savings to last longer, which will save you money on taxes or possibly allow you to delay taking Social Security benefits, which will increase your benefit when you do. Three, when you finally pass on, your kids inherit the home and the equity in it, along with the money that has accumulated in your bank account from not having to make monthly mortgage payments. Four, no prepayment penalty if you decide to sell the home or refinance out of it. And the biggest reason, it's your equity. Use it when you want it. Interest rates are low, which means more money available, so if you've inquired before and it didn't work, it may work today. Calling to find out more details is free, so call me at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020, or go to edhoffman.net and click on the Summit Funding logo. AM 590, the answer.